Well, glory. Good to see all of you this morning, to have all of you here. As Tony said, if you're visiting with us this morning, maybe this is even your first Sunday at the Oasis, we would love to have you stay for our potluck. What better way to get to know us, bunch of crazy people for God, than to eat with us after the service is over. So we're glad that you are here this morning. Luke chapter 8, as we continue our series through the Gospel of Luke, especially looking at this series through the eyes of what it means to be a servant of the Lord. And while you're finding Luke chapter 8, just a couple of reminders. This Wednesday, 7 o'clock, Bible study, refuel right here in this auditorium. We're going to be teaching on the rapture of the church. We hope that many of you will be able to make that. Friday, March the 27th, is a Q&A night with me sponsored by the women's ministry of our church. It is an opportunity for you, whether you are new here at the Oasis or whether you've been part of our church family for many years, to ask me questions about me, about our church, about the Bible, about theology. But here's the deal, okay? These great women of our church are also going to provide a light dinner that night for all who attend, which means if you are planning on attending that Friday night, you need to let them know you're coming so that they know how many meals, if you will, those light dinners to provide for. There's two ways to do that. One on our website, you can sign up there, or two, to go out to the information table and talk to one of the ladies out there after the services are over each week. So please, it's free, it doesn't cost you anything, but the gals need to know how many are coming that night in order to plan. And don't forget also to begin uh, writing out your questions and dropping them off out there in the box. Again, I'm, I'll be as transparent as I can possibly be, so there's no questions that are off limits, okay? You bring them on, and I will attempt to answer them as, as to the best of my ability. And then one more quick thing, don't forget to mark on your calendars, you're going to want to be here this, that, that, this night or this day, Sunday, April the 5th. It is the 10th anniversary of us as a church, okay? We started 10 years ago, the first Sunday of April. So every year on the first Sunday of April, we have our anniversary one today. And this year, it's 10 years in as a church. So special celebration that morning, morning service, 10 o'clock. But then something added this year because of our 10th anniversary, 7 o'clock in the evening, back here that Sunday night, we're having a night of praise and worship. Everyone is invited. And we want you to invite your family and friends to be a part of that very special day. Coworkers, maybe you've been thinking about inviting somebody to come to the Oasis. What better day to come than to help us celebrate 10 years as a church and to really, it's all about celebrating God and who God is and what God has done these last 10 years. So don't forget to mark that on your calendar as well. Luke chapter 8, this message from God to us is not only a message for each of us as individuals, and God's going to speak to us individually today. He does always that way. He crafts very personal messages to each of us and, and meets us right where we are in our lives. 
But I was especially impressed as I prepared to give this message this Sunday that God also has this message for us as a community of believers. That corporately, he also wants us to embrace this because I believe that God not only wants us to, in a sense, individually be willing to go a little bit further with him, but I think as a church, God wants us to go further than where we are right now. To start out the message, I'd like to begin in actually verse 22 of Luke chapter 8. We're sort of going to begin in the middle of the passage, then go to the beginning and then end at the end, if you will. But here it says, one day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. There are going to be times in our life with Jesus as we walk with him, as we follow him, as we learn what it means to be a servant, that Jesus is going to say to each of us, and again, I think he's also saying to us as a church, I want you now to go with me across to the other side. Uh, uh, what we've been doing here on this side of the lake, that's great. But what I now want you to experience can only be experienced by you being willing to get in the boat with me and to go across to the other side of the lake. And you'll notice then in verse 26, it said they sailed over to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, and Jesus stepped ashore. That's important to see that image of Jesus himself getting out of the boat and in a sense, stepping ashore. It, it meant he was stepping onto new ground, if you will. He was stepping onto an undiscovered country at that point where there were all kinds of possibilities and where eternal destinies were going to play themselves out. That is so important because God is saying to each of us in some way today, you've been long enough with me on this side of the lake. Now it's time to get into the boat and cross with me to another side. It's time to go to some new ground. Now, I don't know what that new ground is for you individually, and I can even say honestly as the pastor of this church, I don't know all that God is talking to us about as far as experiencing new ground as a church. I know some of what God wants us to do uh, and, and he's giving me hints of it ahead of time, but I don't know all of it yet, but I do know this for sure. God wants us all to experience in some way new ground with him this year. Amen. New ground. Now, what's important here, though, to be reminded of is this. When you see this all taking place in this day, real time with Jesus, not everyone was interested in, in a sense, getting into the boat and crossing the lake with Jesus and going to the other side. There are many down through their time with Jesus who basically say when Jesus is offering them that opportunity, they go, thanks, but no thanks. That's, I want to keep doing what I'm doing or I'm comfortable here on this side of the lake. I don't feel like going anywhere new and experiencing anything new with you, God, and, and, and taking new ground and all of that. 
I'm good right here. And we see that even in the passage. Notice up in verse 37, all the people of the Gerasenes and the surrounding region asked Jesus to leave them alone. Leave us alone, God. We don't want the changes that you're bringing. We don't want to deal with what we're going to have to do differently in order to keep following you to new ground on the other side. We're good, God, so just, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Leave us alone. Go. <laughs> you see, that's one response. The other response was many were begging to follow Jesus and were willing to go wherever Jesus led them. And for me, I can't speak to each of us individually, but I can only say as the pastor of this church, I'm hoping that everyone who's a part of the Oasis Church will be willing to say yes to what Jesus has for us. Because I know as the pastor, I want us to say yes to Jesus, to embrace this new ground stepping onto a new shore, if you will, with him. And the only way that you and I do that is by continuing to allow God to work in our lives and bring us to a point like he did with the disciples where what they had already experienced with him on this side wasn't all that he had for him. You see, Jesus wants us to experience things with him that we can only experience with him and that we could never experience without him. And so many Christians even miss out on so much of what God has for them simply because we're either satisfied with where we've come to, we get complacent, we get too comfortable, if you will, in, in where we are, and we're not willing to keep traveling further with God and, and allow him to stretch us and take us further than where we are now. I'm always hoping as a church we never say no to God in that respect. Because God has more for us as a church and God has more for each of us as individual followers of his. How do we begin to sort of be shaped into the servant that's willing to get into the boat and go to the other side and step onto new shores? Go back to the beginning of the chapter in chapter 8 and look at the first few verses. We're going to start seeing these things unfold. Soon time afterward, he went through the towns and villages preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12, obviously, disciples whom he had chosen were with him. But notice also now we are told in verse 2 that there were some women who had been healed of evil spirits and disabilities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many other women who provided for them out of their own resources. What do we learn here about how God wants to shape us to be his servants? Well, you'll notice that the Bible says that many of these women had been healed. And automatically we think of, well, you know, physical healing, whatever. But there was more to it than that. You see, this is actually the same word that's used in the New Testament to speak about being saved. He saved them, too. He rescued them. He delivered them. He, he, he 
allowed them to experience a reversal in their life that could only come through him. He allowed them to be restored in some way to physical, emotional, and spiritual wholeness. He healed them. And can I just say that if you're here this morning like me, and you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he became at some point in your life your personal savior that you cried out to him and said, Lord, I come to a place where I understand I can't save myself and that I need you and you alone to save me, that all of us have experienced his salvation, his deliverance, his rescue, his healing in our lives. All of us. We are all walking miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, then, notice something. These women, like anyone else, like you and I, were not saved by Jesus to sit. They were not saved by Jesus to become spectators of his kingdom and in his kingdom. They were saved to serve. And that's what they were doing. They didn't get saved by God, healed by God, rescued by God, delivered by God, and then spend the rest of their lives doing what they wanted to do. No, they became servants of the Lord. And they provided for Jesus himself and and his little band and and team there out of their own resources, the end of verse 3. See, Jesus cared for them and coming along and rescuing and healing and saving and delivering them. And now, in a sense, they turned it around, and now God was using them to care for the physical needs of Jesus and and his band of followers here. Saved to serve, you see. And, And something else here. They illustrate the principle of blessed to be a blessing. See, God blesses us, but it's not just to keep taking in the blessing, it's to turn it around and begin to be a blessing to others and to see, God, how do you want now me to use my resources that you have blessed me with to bless and be a blessing to others? That's what the Bible says. They provided for Jesus and his little team here out of their own resources. You see, God is not going to ask us to serve and provide out of what we don't have. But God is going to say, I've blessed you with these things, these resources, and now I don't want them to just be for you. I want them to be used for ministry and in some ways to advance my kingdom on this earth. And that's exactly what we see happening here with these gals especially, you see. They were being part of the the ministry of Jesus Christ by supporting him in his ministry, which is, again, sometimes that's in a season of our life or several seasons of our life. That's what God will ask of us too. He will say, look, I'm not asking you to necessarily lead a ministry or be out in front of a ministry, but for this season of your life, I'm asking you to support others who are doing ministry. You you be in the background and you help them with the ministry that I've called them to. And if I see that you're faithful in being behind the scenes and calling, you know, and, and helping them, then I'll give you something else and I'll give you more than what I'm giving you now. But I want to see that you're faithful in little things and then I'll make you faithful over more. 
A lot of times God wants to make sure that we are humble enough not to always be the one out front, the one who has to lead, but the one just like these gals who were sort of behind the scenes who were supporting someone else in ministry. And God will very often do that as well. So again, this is how God begins to shape the heart and life of his servants to get us to the place where once he says, now let's get into the boat and go to the other side and let's experience a new shore that we're willing to go. Notice also in verse 4, it says, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from one town after another, he spoke to them in a parable. I want you to go back to that phrase, coming to Jesus. It's not just a matter of providing for, for others in ministry out of our own resources. And by having the mindset that I'm not saved to sit and spectate, I'm saved to serve. I'm blessed to be a blessing. But in the midst of all this, we must never forget that it's also about us always as a church, corporately, and as individuals continually coming to Jesus. You see, it's not about just coming to Jesus when we get saved. It's about developing that, that dependency and reliance and that habit, if you will, in our life that we're always coming to Jesus. Amen. Always. In fact, back up in verse 1 at the end, it says the 12, notice, were with him. The words were with him means to be joined close together in tight identification. You want to find Peter and the other disciples? Well, look for Jesus. You find Jesus, that's where you'll find them. I love that. that that's the way God's always wanted it to be. Where's Jesus? He's there. Oh, and when you see him, guess what? You're going to see this community of believers from the oasis because where Jesus is, that's where they'll be because they're always just following Jesus and coming to him. John 12, 26, if anyone wants to serve me, he must what? Follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. You want to find us? Look where Jesus is. That's where we'll be, sticking close like glue that's why Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me. That wasn't a one and done thing. That means continually come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen. There's a lot of Christians out there today. Christians, I mean, they know the Lord is their Savior, but they are not at rest. They're not at rest physically. They're not at rest emotionally. And they're certainly not at rest spiritually. Well, why? They have the Lord as their Savior. Yes, but somewhere along the line, once they came to him and asked him to save them, they stopped coming to him. There, there, there was a stoppage of that fellowship and that intimacy and that communion that we all need with Jesus because it is in his presence and in coming to him every day that Jesus begins to shape our heart and shape our life to the point where once he does say, now get in the boat and cross over to the other side, we go, we want to be the first ones in the boat. Not, no, Jesus, thank you, but no thanks. I'm not interested. 
And then Jesus again in verse 4 begins to talk to them in this parable. A parable was simply a story that would reveal truth to those that were open and receptive to it and would hide truth to those that, again, weren't very interested in it. And actually God spoke to, to people in parables as an act of mercy because the Bible teaches the greater the light, the greater the responsibility. And knowing that many people's hearts were not going to be open to God's truth, he would hide that truth so that they wouldn't not be any more responsible for rejecting him than what they already were. So Jesus speaks a parable to them, and it's about soil. Why soil? Because soil is representative of our heart. And here Jesus says, a sower, verse 5, went out to sow his seed. He sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled on. The wild birds devoured it. Others fell on a rock. When it came up, it withered because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and they grew up, and it choked it. But other seed fell on good soil. It grew. It produced a hundred times as much grain. And then he says, as he called out loud, literally spoke in a very loud voice for all to hear, that the one who has ears had better listen, had better not just physically hear, but better hear God's voice and learn from what he's saying here. In this parable, Jesus is teaching us that faith is not a matter of education. Can I repeat that? Because I think it's something, especially today in our modern day and age, with all of the resources that we have to study God's word and to learn more and all of that, that we can get caught into the trap that faith is educational. That somehow, just like the world thinks, if we just educate people on what they should be doing and shouldn't do it, they'll do it, right? Well, we know that fails. And yet somehow we have gotten duped even in the Christian community to think that if we just educate people and we get them into Bible studies and we get them studying the Word and reading the Word and all that, that's good, right? We're just educating and Jesus here is teaching something very important. Yes, we need the Word of God, no doubt about that, but faith is not a matter of education. It's all about the receptivity of a person's heart. Because without a receptive heart, you and I could sit in a great Bible study taught by Jesus Christ himself, and it would not matter one bit if our heart is not ready to receive what Jesus is teaching. And that's why there are many Christians that can be part of 12 Bible studies during a week and never change the way they are. Because they're going just being educated, just filling their heads with more Bible facts and Bible statistics and Bible references and being able to, you know, tell you a lot about the Bible and what the Bible teaches, but it never changes, transforms, or grips their heart. And Jesus says... Faith is about our heart, and that's why he presents the parable of the soils. And notice something else here. Three out of the four soils aren't good. <laughs> Only one is good. So the disciples ask him, well, then what does the parable mean? And notice what he says in verse 10. He said, you have been given the opportunity to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. For us, 
to have our heart and life shaped to be a follower that's willing to get into the boat and go to the other side, one of the other things we need to realize is that the opportunities to know God are gifts from God. And that you and I, as his followers, need to make sure that we are seizing the opportunities that we have been given by God to know the things of God. And God is looking for those who are seizing those opportunities and realizing how precious they are to know more about God. But again, it's not just about knowing about him in our head. It's about our heart being receptive, which is why Jesus uses the whole soil illustration. What is good soil? We could talk about the three bad soils. What's good soil? Because God wants us to aspire and to attain to be good soil and to seize those opportunities. That's how we get to the place where we're willing to get into the boat and cross the other side. Notice verse 15. It gives us a beautiful description of good soil. As for the seed that landed on good soil, fertile soil, in which the seed of God's word can penetrate, this is what I'm looking for. These are the ones who, after hearing the word, embracing the word, saying yes to the word, cling to it. It means to hold it close, to keep it close with an honest and good heart, and then bear fruit out of that with steadfast endurance, meaning with perseverance, with consistency through every season. So as I read and studied that verse, giving us a description of what good soil looks like and how you and I should aspire to be good soil, if you will, the kind of, of heart that the word can penetrate and do something and move and, and change and be willing to get us to this point, I came up with three sort of summarizing words from verse 15. The first is teachable. God is looking for humble, teachable people because it's only those who are humble and teachable who are willing to truly hear what God has to say in the sense of embracing it. I mean, I mean you and I, even on human relationships, we know that people can technically be physically listening to us or we can physically be listening to them, but we're not really listening. We're not really embracing it. We're just like, yeah, 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 get on with what you're saying so I can move on and... You know, someone who truly wants to listen to what God has to say and embrace it, there's going to be a humility there and there's going to be a teachable spirit there, which also leads into the whole clinging to it. It's not just a matter of hearing it once and then sort of putting it down. It's a matter of literally carrying it everywhere I go, which is why the Bible says of itself, my word is a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. Don't leave home without it. Don't go anywhere without it. Don't, don't, you know, it is our ultimate, you know, in, in the world of navigational systems and all the, you know, the stuff that we need, we think we need to navigate through a day, God is saying, better not forget my word. Better make sure you're carrying it, clinging to it, keeping it close all the while. Which is why in the Old Testament, God's people literally put the word of God everywhere, including on their own persons. And still some Orthodox Jews do that to this day. 
where they wrap up Bible verses and put them into their hats or their, under their heads and, and everywhere else. That's why God said, even in your homes, put it everywhere. Put it on your doorpost. Put it here. Put it, just don't, don't escape the word of God. Cling to it. Hold it close. So that's teachable. But then notice he says, out of that teachable, humble spirit of taking in the word of God, you'll become fruitful. You will bear fruit. And Jesus said, when you and I bear much fruit, our Father is glorified, fruitful. But then I want to spend a little bit of time on this last one. And here's where I summarize it by using the word sustainable. Because he says, don't just bear fruit. Be the kind of person that bears fruit with steadfast endurance. Persevere. Again, consistency through every season. Not just when I feel like it. Not just when things are certain conditions in my life. But where people know that, that I can be counted on. Where God knows I can be counted on through every season. It's not this roller coaster Christian life that many people lead where they're way up for a time and then they're way down for a time and they're close to God and then they drift real far away and this, this life is spent back and forth, wavering back and forth. No, Jesus says no. It should be a steady progression up and there should always be a constancy, a steadfastness, a consistency to my life. Well, that means whatever I'm doing, to take in the word of God and be humble and teachable and fruitful, I also need to make sure that it's sustainable. That it's something that I can do and get a rhythm to over the long haul. And we as human beings, we have a hard time with that. Don't we? <laughs> we have a hard time sustaining it. And the thing is, if it can't be sustained, then what good is it? Let me give an illustration we all know. Diet. We all say, oh, I'm going to change the way I eat. And we gravitate to these diets or these ways of eating that we can stick with it for a little while, but then eventually, because at least for us, we can't sustain it over the long haul, we revert back and then it ends up all that time we spent isn't good because if we reverted back, then we're just going to go back to what we were. And that's the way many Christians live their Christian life because they have built their life, but they built it in a way not to be able to sustain stuff consistently over the long haul. It's up and down. It's close for a while, then not. There's, there's not that rhythm. And God is saying to us, I'm looking for those who are not only humble and teachable and fruitful, but those who are able to sustain it and be consistent and persevere and have that consistency over the long haul because that's where God really shapes us. It is the cumulative effect of walking with Jesus Christ consistently over the long haul that really determines the destiny of every child of God. The cumulative effect. 
It's not the one or two big spiritual experiences that people are looking for today. It's the everyday walking with Jesus consistently that's really going to make a difference. And that's true of us as a church. A couple more things. Sorry. I just get excited about this stuff. So then he says, oh, and by the way, besides striving to be good soil, be a light. He says, no one, verse 16, who lights a lamp and then covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in can see the light. That's what the light's purpose is, is to give light. And Jesus says, too many people are hiding their light. Jesus saying, you got my light. The Bible says every Christian is the light of God in this world. We are the light of the Lord and we have the light of the Lord. It's not a question of some Christians have the light of God and some don't. If you're a true Christian, you have the light of God within you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The question is not, do I have light? The question is, am I hiding the light or am I shining it and am I putting myself out there on that lampstand so that others can see God's light in and through me. And here's the deal. Many times we just simply apply that to witnessing. How, how my life sets up conspicuously so that unbelievers and those that don't have a relationship with God can see and be drawn to God. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I want to take that a step further, especially for us as a church, as the people of God. There are many of you, even at this church, you're hiding your light, not so much to unbelievers, you're hiding your light even amongst your own spiritual family members because God has given you gifts and talents and abilities. He's given you light to be able to build up and bless your brothers and sisters in Christ. And guess what? Instead of stepping forward and stepping out and letting your light shine for God, you are hiding those talents. You are hiding those gifts. You are hiding who God made you to be and gifted you to be. And we're all not benefiting because you're hiding your light. I'm asking you. I'm imploring you. I'm encouraging you. Let your light shine. Stop hiding your light. And stop letting other Christians and other people tell you to hide your light. God bless them. You have your light. You let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. <laughs> well, let's get towards the end here. You know the story of Jesus in the boat. Verse 22, he asked them to go across the other side. They begin to set sail. He falls asleep. A violent storm comes. They all think they're going to die. Verse 24, master, master, we're going to die. So he got up. He rebuked the wind and the raging waves. They died down and it was calm. And then he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this? which is a question we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. What is something else that God obviously wants to develop in our lives in order to get us to the place where we're willing to go to new shores with him to strengthen our faith? And in order for God to give us more too, here's the deal. 
Why does God allow these storms? Because it was obviously Jesus's will that they get into the boat and go to the other side. It wasn't the disciples' idea to do that. It was Jesus's idea. So why then, once he asks us to get into that boat and go to these new shores, why does he allow the storms to, in, in our lives to come? Because a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Amen. And God wants to bring things into our life to test our faith because God wants to give us more. And before God gives us more, he's got to know that he can trust us with more. And the only way to do that is to have our faith tested because it's also in the fires of the storms of life and the testings of life that our faith is purified and that our faith is strengthened so that when we step onto that new shore, we are ready for what is ever there on that new shore. And you know, if you know this chapter, what was waiting them on that new shore? A man who was demon-possessed, in fact, maybe possessed by thousands of demons. Because when you and I begin to go to new shores and go across other sides of the lake and start taking new territory for God individually as a church, guess what? Satan's not going to fall asleep on us. It's going to rouse Satan up, and he and his demonic forces are going to do everything they can to come against us. Amen. And we better be ready for it. Jesus, as we said last week, is looking for faith. The only thing Jesus was ever amazed at or marveled at or admired in the Bible was faith or a lack of it. And that's why Jesus says, where's your faith? I didn't leave. I didn't go anywhere. I was here in the boat with you the whole time. And I'll be with you through every storm, but you've got to trust me to, it, to get you to the other side because I don't tell you that I want to take you to the other side and then somehow leave you hanging in the middle of the lake. I'm going to get you there even through the storms. Amen. Because what I have waiting for you over on this other side is something you need to experience and that I want you to experience. And the only way you can experience this is with me. And the only way you can experience this is not by being satisfied to stay on this side of the water, but to cross over with me and get to the other side and get to some new ground and, and step on a new shore out there. Because there's a blessing that comes with going to the other side with Jesus and even being willing to start on that journey. Let me just point a few things out very quickly. First of all, notice in verse 24, Jesus calmed everything down. It meant to be still. It meant to be tranquil. Let's apply this broadly today. We're not literally physically in a boat seeking to go across water. But there may be many of you who've come here today, you're very unsettled. You're very restless. Whether it's spiritually, emotionally, or physically, calm, tranquil, and still does not describe where your life is right now. And God wants you to understand, if you will let me take you a little bit further, I can bring a tranquility and a calmness and a stillness to your heart to your mind that you're not experiencing right now, but you've got to be willing to get into the boat and go to the other side with me because Jesus can bring calm where there is no calm. Amen. Then they meet this man 
who was possessed by thousands of demons. And by the way, Jesus clearly handled that with no problem. 6,000 demons to Jesus, it's nothing for him. He can be outnumbered billions to one. If it's Jesus, he's going to win every time. And the Bible says that after Jesus cast out these demons out of the man, notice what it says in verse 35. They found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. Again, you may have come here with a mind that is tortured and not tranquil. Maybe you're not being oppressed by demons, but in a sense, you have your own demons in your mind and in your way of thinking. Guess what? If you're willing to go across to the other side and step on new shore, I guarantee you this, Jesus can bring a different mind and mindset to you. This phrase, right mind, literally speaks about a sound mind under God's control. That's what God wants to do with every single one of us here. He wants us to have a mind that is sound under his control. And too often as Christians, our mind is either under our control or somebody else's control or some, you know, some other force. But God wants us to bring our minds under his control and allow every thought to come captive to him. Amen. And Jesus can do that. Then the Bible says, this woman came out and touched him who had been suffering with this issue of blood for 12 years. And once she touched Jesus, the Bible says her hemorrhaging immediately stopped. Now again, to expand this broadly and apply this broadly, you may not have come here today with a literal physical issue of blood like this woman, but you may be bleeding. And Jesus wants to stop the bleeding in your life. Because there's something in your life that just keeps flowing out of you that should not be. And Jesus alone can stop the bleeding in your life and provide healing from your suffering and from your pain, just as he did with this young woman who had been suffering for 12 years. Just a touch, as we sang about this morning, and everything changed with that woman. Are you willing to let Jesus touch your life today and stop the bleeding that's occurring. And then finally, the chapter ends with Jesus raising a young girl from the dead. And the Bible says that Jesus, in verse 54, gently took her by the hand and said, Child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and then he told them to give her something to eat. Again, you and I obviously aren't coming here and, because we're physically dead or we wouldn't be here this morning. But there may be a place where God is saying, there's no life in this part of your life anymore. There's no hope here. And I've come just as I did to that young gal and her family to bring hope to the hopeless and to breathe life into a lifeless situation and to have your spirit return, to re-energize you, to reinvigorate you. Because when Jesus breathes into our life, everything changes. 
And all these experiences from seeing Jesus raise a little girl from the dead to seeing a woman who'd suffered for so many years be totally and instantaneously healed to seeing a man who had been tormented for years by thousands of demons delivered through the power of Jesus. They would have missed all this had they not went to the other side. Amen. And Jesus saying, I want to take this Oasis Church to some new places to experience new things with me that you could only experience with me and never without me. Are we willing to go? And then each of us individually, God is saying to us, I want you to get into the boat with me like those 12 disciples and go to the other side and step onto some new ground. Are we willing to go? Because Jesus is all about doing a new thing. In fact, I know I'm going over, but it's potluck, right? <laughs> Turn with me back to Isaiah. Chapter 43, and those of you that have been around for a while, you know where I'm going with this, right? This is the passage that gave us the name of the church and what we're all about as a church. And I want to just remind us all about this. In Isaiah 43, verse 19 through 21, the prophet Isaiah, speaking to God's people from God himself, says to them, look, I'm about to do something new. Are we willing to embrace it? Now, God says, it begins to happen. Do you not recognize it? Yes, I will make a road in the desert and paths in the wilderness. The wild animals of the desert honor me, the jackals and ostriches, because I put water in the desert. That's an oasis, by the way. <laughs> and streams in the wilderness. Now, why does God want to raise up an oasis in a desert place? Because God's people need their thirst quenched. We are a thirsty people in need of God's nourishment that only he can provide, and that's exactly what God says. I want to raise up oases in desert places to quench the thirst of my chosen people, but not just to quench their thirst so that they will be filled up by me so that the people whom I formed for myself might praise me. Amen. And there again we see the marriage, if you will, of worship and the word. God gives us and nourishes us with living water, his word, so that we can worship him. That's why here at the Oasis, the worship of God and the word of God will always complement each other, not compete with each other. Because we believe that the more we know of God, through his word and through walking with him and his spirit, the more we desire to worship him. And the more we desire to worship him, the more we want to learn more about him so that we can worship him even more. Amen. Are you willing to get into that boat and go to that other side? Let's stand, please. God, I pray today that as a church we would say yes to what you have for us. You want to do something new with us. But God, I also pray that as individuals, God, that we would take the opportunity right now in this time of worship to say yes to you. 
You're in our boat. But we need to be willing to go to the other side. We need to be willing to step out onto new ground on a new shore. Because there's things that you want us to experience that we can only experience by going to the other side. God, may we embrace what you have for us as a church and what you have for us individually, God. May we as your people do business with you right here, right now. May there be many people across this auditorium, God, who says yes to you right now, whatever that is. Because, God, you are here. You are moving. You are in our midst. And it is clear that you want to take us further with you. Let's say yes, God. In Jesus' name, amen.